Amen. Let me turn your attention back to the book of First Thessalonians. It's hard for me to um, ask you to turn to a particular passage because I read so many. Um, however, I think uh, the the particular emphases I want to draw your attention these to this evening and uh, before we come to our baptisms tonight are caught up are caught in the uh, perhaps all caught summarily, uh, summarily in the um, in the, the the first section I read to you from First Thessalonians in chapter one and verses two through to ten. Um, but I, I, I'll draw your attention to the other references later and um, suggest to you what. Um, what points I want to make from um, this, th- those scriptures that you've heard read. Um, uh, what do you say to someone who is about to be, to be baptized, someone who has just been baptized? What, what, what counsel, what advice do you, you give to them? What do you tell them? Um, what, what should you say to them? Those were the, the thoughts, some of the thoughts, the question that came to mind as I wondered what to preach um, tonight. Um, and... Um, well, obviously so, because I was preaching at a baptism service, and, and then my attention turned to thinking about what, what, what the scriptures would say, what the Bible would say to someone uh, to, who, who's getting baptized. After all, baptism uh, was the, is in one sense the, the entry, point, entry point for the church, at least if you were to take your New Testament seriously. Um, in the New Testament, those who trusted Christ got baptized. Those who had faith got baptized. If you believed, if you said you believe, you get baptized. If you wanted to be one of, belong to the church, if you, if you um, were claiming to be one of Christ's people, you got baptized. It's unlikely that they had baptism classes like we do, like some of these guys have had to do for four or five weeks or so, that they then did extensive uh, membership classes. Some of you are feeling like I rubbed you. We, listen, we, we, we have no apostles here, so we have to be a bit, care, a bit more careful, uh, to, yeah, take a, a few more measures. But in general, that's not what the early church did. Baptism was how you identified yourself with God's people. It wasn't synonymous in and of itself with faith. There were folks who got baptized and then showed that they had no true faith. Uh, what it meant, of course, was that the New Testament did and does still have a higher view of the significance of baptism than we do as churches. Christians go on, don't they, today for years, months, without being baptized and still calling themselves Christians. It was unheard of in the first church. And so baptism carried a lot of significance. It was the mark of conversion. The new convert was baptized. And so when I thought, what do you say to someone who just got baptized, and I thought, what would the New Testament say? I realized then the key was there. You find the kind of thing that the New Testament would say to converts, to someone who just joined the church. And that's what you have in the book of First Thessalonians. You have a book written by the apostle to new converts. Uh, Paul had preached in one of his missionary journeys. He's founded this church. He hadn't been able to stay there and see it um, flourish and see it grow, but he had been there in its uh, in its uh, uh, in its big, in, in initial days when, when when it started, and he had had to leave because of persecution, as he stresses a number of times in the book of First Thessalonians. He had to leave. 
but he was always concerned for his babies, these children that he birthed um, in, in gospel work. He was always concerned for them, and he, he, he'd sent to hear from them, and Timothy had visited one of his fellow workers and brought back word and said, they're in good shape. He'd said good things about them. They, they, they're still believing. This church is still, their doors are still open, and but they have asked this question, and they, they've considered this. These new converts, they've, they've, they've had these questions. And, and Paul writes then in response to guide, to answer, to reveal. And so what you have is a letter written for the benefit of those who, in many ways, are embarking on their Christian faith. Right? We might not be able to tell. You, you, you can't tell these days, right, the way so many of us make Christianity look. The, the, the sort of ways in which Christianity is often presented today, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't know that First Thessalonians was the food of converts, of new Christians, of believers. This is what they were to believe and hold on to and learn, the way so many try to present Christianity today. But essentially, this is what it was. This is the kind of stuff that you say to someone because you, you want them to end well. After all, it's, it's very likely that the, 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 the view, the understanding, the sense I give you of what you are entering into is, 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 is the same way you're going to embark on, on the rest of your journey. If I show you that Christianity, if I tell you Christianity is a certain way, if I say Christianity is there just to make you happy, if I say Christianity is just to make you, um, you know, better than everyone around you, make you achieve all your dreams, then that's exactly what you're going to pursue in your Christian life. And so Paul was concerned to ground these converts in solid Christian teaching so that they could never turn around and say, this is not what we were told, this is not what we expected, so that they would have direction, this is what to expect. This is what this whole faith is about. This is what we're coming into. Paul's, Paul's master would have, no, have it no other way. He was one who required you to count the cost, to, to, to know what you were entering into. Jesus Christ never gave, he, he never uh, gave false ideas. He, 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 yeah, he, he wasn't selling false ideas. He was straightforward about what it meant to be one of his. And so let me draw your attention this morning, this evening, um, to five points of emphasis. There's five, five chapters in First Thessalonians. And I think there, there's, there's five, you, you can draw your attention to five points that are emphasized in the book of First Thessalonians. Maybe there, there, there might be more, but I actually think these stand out if you read the book. Uh, things that the apostle is concerned to stress. And these are the words that we might tell someone who was about to be baptized. These are the words that we might tell someone who got baptized that would uh, embody and encompass the reality of what they've just experienced or what they're going through and allow them to remember uh, what it is to take this, uh, to, 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 to take this ritual of faith, to, to obey this ordinance, to, uh, to enter into this symbol, what it symbolizes. First thing, then, I would say is you tell them about the power of the power of your conversion, the power of your what just took place, what is taking place in your life that means you've come to the waters of baptism, what's taking place in your life that means you are baptized. You'd ask them to make sure they understand it, that this is something divine, this is a work of God's grace. This is more than just 
a, a human decision. This is supernatural. It's God that gives the privilege for men and women to be called children of God. You tell them to truly grasp the power of the, the, their conversion. What has really happened to you? If the church did that enough, we would have, we would have fewer false baptisms. We would have fewer people come into the waters of baptism just for ritual sake. Come into the waters of baptism because they're told to. Because they're, just, they're, they're pressured into doing it. If we, if we spoke like the Apostle Paul who says, he, he, he refers to this church. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 2, he says, uh, sorry, verse 4, he says, we know that you are loved by God and he has chosen you. Imagine that, straight up. He's teaching them what is often referred to as the, the doctrine of election. Some, some people think that's some deep truth that you leave all the way to like later in the faith when someone is settled. Christ, Paul tells them early on, you are what you are because God chose you. You're loved by him. He says, when you believed the gospel, it wasn't just the exchange of ideas. Verse 5, it wasn't just about you being convicted by some words. It was the power of the Spirit. It was the power of the Holy Spirit who brought you into full conviction. You cannot believe this gospel if God doesn't open your eyes. You can't see your need for God. You can't forsake all to follow him. You can't step into the waters of baptism if the Holy Spirit hasn't opened your eyes and heart to see the need for Jesus Christ. You have encountered the living God, so your faith is nothing to be played with. Your faith is nothing to be trivialized. You will never get anything. You will never possess anything as precious as faith in Christ, as your love for him, as your walking in him. And remember, the evidence of this is in the change it made to your life. Verse 9 and 10, sorry, sorry, verses 8 through to 10. He says, initially, you became evangelists. It was impossible for you to hide what had taken place. You know, the same way it's impossible for, an, uh, for, for, for someone to come in here and say, an explosion took place across the road. You, you, you'd say, we didn't hear a thing. Impossible. The same thing. There was this explosion within you of God's power. You couldn't hide it. You became examples to others. You proclaimed, your faith was proclaimed everywhere. There's a power. It says in verse 9, you, you gave up. You gave up your idols. You, when you forsook your habits, when you forsook friends, when you forsook ways of living, when you gave those things up, that was a work of God. I know there are times when people go through strange epiphanies in life and things happen and they, you know, they change things around. They, they go through drastic changes. This was different. When people do that, they don't leave those drastic changes so that they can serve God. This is a work of God. Remember the power of your conversion. Um, and many of us have to confess that as we go on in our Christian lives, we, so soon we forget what happened to us. We forget the power of our conversion. So here you are, your Christian faith, you're, you're stuck in a rut. You feel like you keep on falling into this sin. 
You, you feel like you, you just won't, you, you feel like you're, you're, you're cold. There's no zeal. You're not as passionate. And what do you do? You just lament it. You just feel hopeless. You just give up. You just say, well, I, I'm just going to be forever mediocre. I, I'm just always going to be in this lethargic state. You know why that is? Because you've forgotten how your new life came to be in the first place. It was God's power. If it was God's grace and power that made you what you are in the first place, then why do you think that that same power is not sufficient enough for you today? The same power that brought you out from those idols you were serving is the same power that can free you from the pension that your Christian heart now has to yield to certain idols. He can deliver you from the temptations that your Christian heart now has to submit, surrender to idols. The power, what actually took place? You'd say that to someone who's come to be baptized. God, you've met with the living God. He has transformed your life. And no wonder the apostle says that they were full, verse 6, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's how they received the word. The second thing, though, that you would tell them, in which you very, in many, very many Christian, uh, even in churches today, you won't hear this said, is the reality of trials. That's prevalent right through First um, Thessalonians. Paul is over and over again. In fact, I just I drew your attention to First Thessalonians one verse six, and Paul says there that they received the word even in much affliction. What he's probably referring to is that these folks received the word as most likely either Jewish believers, the Jews, or, or, or Gentile believers who once practiced a Jewish religion. And they forsook that aspect of their life and said, Christ is everything. We're just going to follow Jesus alone. And they, they, you know, they, they gave up some of their earlier Jewish traditions. And this brought them into serious conflict with the Jews of the day. Now, they had the option of saying, I didn't realize that believing this message was going to bring me so much trouble and to forsake it because they wanted ease. But no, they said, this is God's grace. This is salvation. I'll, suffer, I'll rather suffer with the people of God now and receive glory in the afterwards. They, 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 that's what they decided. And Paul, over and over again, says to these Christians in this passage, Trial is a part of your faith. Trial is a part of your walk. In, fa- in fact, later on in, in verse chapter 3, I read that to you earlier, chapter 3, verse 4 to 7, he says, we kept telling you that we would suffer affliction. And he has come to pass. You see us, we're really suffering trials. We're going through trials. He says, and I was concerned... And this is why I wrote to you. I was concerned that when you see us in our suffering, Satan will take opportunity of that and tempt you and deceive you and make you fall away. This Christianity is not all it's, it's, it's made out to be because I'm going through trials. How many Christians today would still be in the faith if they were told at their baptism, this is not an easy road. There's trials ahead. God isn't promising you that you're going to be wealthy. There's no promise that you will be healthy. That doesn't exist in the promise, in, in, in these promises of God's grace. And see, you're not ba- being baptized so you can wash away your 
um, your, 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 all, all the desires you don't want. You're not being baptized so you can wash away all your pain and all your challenges and all your suffering. You're not being baptized so you can come out and receive all that you dream. No, there'll be trials. There'll be persecution. And that's what you say to someone who just get, getting baptized. The reality of going through trials, that faith will be tested. That as soon as you name the name of Jesus, Satan would be tempting you. And you'd have to resist Satan in ways you were never concerned to. And that it's a long, drawn-out battle. And that you can never give in. You have to keep fighting. And that people will ostracize you and forsake you and loving as you must try to be, kind as you must try to be, the world will reject you once you refuse to be like them. There'll be trial. Even till now, we see so many Christians who cannot serve their master faithfully and genuinely because of a love for this world, a love for ease. Because we want to be comfortable. We don't want stress. I don't want people to speak badly of me. I don't want people to dislike me. I don't want people to think that I'm bigoted or that I'm intolerant. I don't want the trials. But Christ says, we must, through much suffering, enter into his kingdom. Prepare for trials, is what you'd say to that Christian. Prepare, prepare to go through trials. Because trials are the test of your faith. It's when Satan comes and tries to deceive you. You tell them that. The third thing you say to someone who just got baptized is that they should pursue holiness. The pursuit of holiness. I read to you chapter 4 and you have eight verses there where Paul is addressing the issue of sexual immorality. And he says, this is a, a lovely verse. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Verse 3 to 4 and verse 3. Even today, Christians spend unhelpful amount of time wondering what God's will for them is. Every single time they're fasting because they want to know God's will. Should I, should I choose this job? Unhelpful amount of, uh, of obsession with knowing God's will. Really, what we want to do is we, we want to be God. We want to play God. We don't like when God leaves us. God sometimes just wants to leave you in limbo. God sometimes doesn't make it very clear to you what you should do next. He wants you to reason. He wants you to go through the stress for, your, for, for good, of course. But he wants you to go through that. He doesn't always make it as plain to him as we want. You say, you say, but God, you gave Joseph dreams. You gave Daniel visions. God says that I did. But I'm just not giving it to you. He's sovereign. He can do that all he wants. But this is the will of God. Your sanctification. A Christian never woke up in the morning not knowing what God's will was for his life. He wants me to be holy. Christian never went through a phase in sickness or in health, times of joy and times of sorrow where they did not know what God's will was for them. You tell someone who's getting baptized, God's will is always your holiness, that you don't hide your sin, that you confess it, that you repent that you seek restoration, that you fight your sin, that you kill it, that you grow and become more like Jesus. There's nothing more like that. That's what you should be obsessed with. That's going to be your obsession. The Holy Spirit at working you to stir up your affection. This whole life is a life of holiness. 
You can take it from a Christian, take it from an older Christian, I'm not talking about myself, but even the oldest Christians, they'll tell you the thing that kept us, that, that we kept doing day and night, the one thing that we can stay was always a story of our life, was the pursuit of holiness. Becoming holy unto God, learning more and more to hate and reject our sin. If this doesn't sound exciting to you, Maybe it's not, but it's true. If, 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 if this doesn't sound appealing to you, maybe it's not, but it's true. But any other expression of spirituality that you're after, any expression of spirituality that you want, where you can, you can be baptized and not be worried about holiness, where you can be... You can enter into the, the water, these physical waters, but not be worried about God's word washing you. Is not genuine Christianity. This is what Christian, this is what it is. You're going to be pursuing holiness all your days. You're going to be learning to be less, to, 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 to rid yourself of selfishness. To, to rid yourself of malice. You're going to turn around and spin the corner and realize, I didn't know I was that prideful. Then by God's grace, you're going to pursue humility. You're going to turn around again and see, I didn't know that I was that, I was that bitter. Then you're going to seek the grace of the Holy Every single day, you're just pursuing holiness. This is the Christian life. Two more things. The fourth thing you tell them is, you've spoken to them about the power of conversion and the reality of trials, the pursuit of holiness. You tell them also about the promise of glory. The promise and glory. Very early on in, first cha- in, in chapter 1 that I read to you earlier, Paul says in verse 10, that what they did, what these Christians did, you, you know what you did when you became baptized. You turned away from your false hopes. You gave yourself to serving the living God and to waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then you know quite well that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in response to probably a question they posed to him about the dead, about eschatology, about end things, Paul does not say, the end times are too complicated. It's not for you right now, you just became a Christian. No, he sets the stall out. He explains to them the Christian view of the future and the end. And you can summarize it as glory to Jesus. Christ is coming back. Sorry, yeah, verse 13 to 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He speaks to them about Christ returning. One day you will see him. He speaks about how in Jesus, death will be destroyed. He speaks about how in Jesus we will be transformed and never be in these mortal bodies. He speaks about how God is going to be in a, in, God is going to, in a cataclysmic fashion, bring this whole world to an end. And we will be forever with the Lord. That's the end goal. The promise of glory. This is your future. You tell someone who wants to be baptized. If, you, if you've been baptized into Christ, you're going to forsake your future. Your, your plans for your future. Your idea of your future. You give it up. You see, prior to this, when you thought about the future, all you could think about was one day having children. All you could think about was one day earning a certain kind of degree. All you could think about was, I want to make this kind of money, or I want to have this kind of influence in my society or community. But when you are baptized into Christ, you give that all up. 
The future is to be with him. That's the future. It becomes the defining thing for all of your life to be one day with the Lord. I'm saying that to my friends who will be baptized, but I guarantee you, we know it, that those of us who have been baptized years ago, 10, 20 years ago, how easy we forget. If you came to my home, I couldn't promise you that you wouldn't look at me and take a look at me and see, he's not chasing, that's not his future. You might look at me for a, for, for, for a season, you'd look at me and say, actually, the way he moves, the way he speaks, the things he's anxious about, the things he's unwilling to lose, the way he holds on to his earthly goods. I can't believe he has this promise. I'm just a sinner. And we, I, I repent of that because I know, friends, my future is one day to see him and to pursue that. That's it. And I'll tell you, if you, if you are being baptized today, I'll say that's your future, is to trust Jesus and to wait for him. From today, nothing else, ultimately, nothing else matters. From, from today, you'll be willing to lose anything that means that you cannot run after Jesus. From today, you are willing to forsake all the treasure and the wealth in this world because you're desirous for wealth in the next. That's our future, the promise of glory. And it's a promise of glory. Christ will keep you to the very end until you see him. The fifth thing is the priority of the church. I've followed it following this in the kind of chronological order. And I, I, otherwise, I would have loved to end on, on glory, the end. But, but actually, the, the, the church is right, rightfully placed here because the way the Christian view of the end works... The end is never just merely something in the future now. Because Jesus Christ is risen and on the throne, we have the very end before our eyes. The end has invaded our now. And nowhere do you see that like in the church. So the fifth thing I will say to the, the, the person getting baptized, the, the baptism is the church must take, let the church take its rightful priority. You see that, right, in the closing verses of Matthew, oh, sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when he, verses 12 right through to 22 are instructions about living in the church. Firstly, God is going to place church leaders over you. Submit to them as they lead you in Christ. That's become your home now. Respect your spiritual parents, as it were. Then he's going to urge them in verse 14 to enter into this messy community. You have no choice but to choose and to love a church. You're not going to find these perfect people that you're looking for. No, no, no. You're going to find in verse 14, idle, that is lazy people. You're going to find faint-hearted people. You're going to find weak people. But you have to learn to be patient with them all. Prioritize the church. Don't let anyone deceive you that you can go cherry picking what church you go to. You can, you can go window shopping for churches and every time you see a mess, you excuse yourself. No, he's going to tell you to enter into that life and into that community and bear the burdens of others and let others bear your burdens. And then promote love and peace in the house of God. Verse 15, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. And then enjoy the joy of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice always. Those are words that God only says to his people. 
The world think they know how to party and they think they have joy. But only in the house of God are the words rejoice always true. Only here do God's people always have a reason to be thankful and to rejoice and pray without ceasing. Prayer is the, is the mark of the church. Prayer is the activity of the church. You know, we often read that verse in isolation, pray without ceasing. I'm thinking to myself, am I a prayerful person? But this is a, this is a statement to the church. Let your life be characterized by praying. And give thanks in all circumstances. Do not quench the move of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps by despising prophecies, despising the teaching of God's word, despising what God speaks through his word. Pay attention to that. Live, essentially prioritize the life of the church. Don't, be, don't, don't get baptized and run out of here. I'm not, not talking about here, literally. I'm talking about out of the house of God. The, the company of God's people. Well, friends, those are, those are words. Those are words to tell someone who has become, who's a new convert, someone who's about to enter these waters, someone who's been baptized. Truer words have not been said. To remember the, the power of your conversion, God's work in you. To remember the fact that you're going to have trials. To remember that you must pursue holiness all your life to remember that actually your future has been decided the same Jesus who took your past and is with you in the present is also determined your future and it's glory with him and to remind you that the very place where he chooses to display that glory is in the church so prioritize the church love your church family commit to your church family well, all I can do then is commend you to the grace of God. Look at the words of the, what the apostle says in verse 24, the, the, the closing verse of this whole book. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Jesus, God will keep you to the very end. Put your faith in him. Trust him. Obey his commands. God's going to keep you to the very end. Let me just say this in closing, though. If you're here this evening and you've never stepped in the waters of baptism, I ask you why. Is it because you anticipate that these words might come to you, these words that call you to fellowship with God, these words that call you to walk with God, these words that call you to repent? It might be that baptism to you is a big step that means that you're saying that you have a, a relationship with God, but really and truly you know you have no relationship with God. In that case, you're an honest person. But I'm saying to you that there's perhaps not, that there's no, no, nothing more damaging in one sense than to never have been baptized. What I mean by that is for you to not be able to say that I've, I know who God is and I have faith in him and I'm walking with him and I've trusted him, there's nothing more dangerous your, your, your life is heading towards nothing if you haven't been baptized. Why have you not been baptized? Is it because you're resisting the move of the Holy Spirit? Because you don't, you're, you're afraid that you, you're not ready to walk with God, you're not ready to trust Jesus. Oh, let, me, let me say that the baptism waters call you to receive the grace of God. God wants you to be baptized because he wants you to remember that only the blood of Jesus can wash away your sin. Being baptized doesn't wash away your sin. It doesn't save you. These waters can't cleanse you. Only the blood of Jesus. But baptism is witness to that fact. 
The cleansing of the baptism waters is witness to the fact that you have been cleansed by the blood and cleansed by the Spirit of God. And so let me ask you this evening not to just watch this scene and detach yourself from it, but see it and see how God calls you through it to faith. See it and see how God is calling you to make a decision of whether you will follow him. See it and ensure that you have also received the Jesus Christ who calls us to be baptized into him. Amen. We're going to...